Hey, John, how are you? Hi, Bridie. This is Professor John Blackslin. He's a leading expert on Australia's defence and security capability. I wanted to get John's perspective on the summit for a few reasons. First, he sits outside the development program and he's a hard security expert. But interestingly, he's named regional governance challenges as one of the top three security threats for Australia. When I asked him what he thought about the summit itself, he was a little cautious. I'm concerned it'll have a negative effect. So if we aren't approaching this with humility, with respect and with dignity, then chances are they will say, hang it, we don't care for what you've got to offer anymore. From the Development Intelligence Lab, I'm Bridie Rice and this is The Readout. In this series, we're taking you behind the scenes of our latest project on democracy. I'm asking different experts across government, academia and practice one question. What will Biden's summit mean for the Indo-Pacific? This is episode three, a security perspective. I spoke to John after my conversations with Serena Sassingen, who you heard in the previous episode. It was interesting just how similar they were in a lot of their views. There is no one-size-fits-all model for democracy. And in finding a way for people's representation in countries around the region, you need to take into account religion, culture, demography, economic models, the, the, the trade relationships, the history, the geography, the mix of identity with history, with the legal frameworks that they've adopted over hundreds of years. These all make for unique concoctions of governance, depending on where you live. John pointed me to a few examples of where countries trying to push a particular style of democracy didn't work at all. My concern is that the US model has tended to, you know, you think about the, the legacy of the US model uh, in Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq. The legacy is not a, it's not a pretty one um, because while the United States has sought to export democracy without it taking local factors into consideration, it's tended to generate enormous negative repercussions. When I pushed John to paint me a picture of what this means, he pointed to this. What you see is a push for elections, in my view, slightly prematurely before you've established some of the foundational aspects of rule of law. Democracy is, is not attractive without rule of law. This critique that sometimes the West reduces democracy promotion to simply election support instead of broader rule of law, civic participation and governance support is a well-trodden critique levelled not just at the US but other donors too. But now, let's get real about why Australia should take this seriously. John named regional governance challenges as one of the top three threats to Australia's national security, alongside the environment and global power contestation. So this is why this gets back to the Venn diagram. There is a you can't deal with one issue of these challenges, you know, just governance, without being mindful of the environmental dimension and the great power contestational dimension. They're all overlapping. Yep. And they're all... In John's essay, he takes his point a lot further. 
While China has no overt declared policy to militarize its investments in the Solomons, in Kiribati, Fiji and elsewhere, the fact is it has done so in the South China Sea. And there is a not unreasonable expectation that in due course, it would do so in the Pacific as well. Australia has an interest in preventing that from happening. But democratic backsliding isn't a case of if or maybe. I pushed John on this and he pointed to Myanmar as an example. All of those countries in Southeast Asia, almost all of them have elections, have forms of democracy and have a degree of obligation be seen to be representative of their people. And there are varying degrees of success and there are varying degrees of transparency and there are varying degrees of corruption and of inequality and of abuse of power. So the most extreme, obviously, we're witnessing now is in Myanmar, where the people's will was revoked by the military, the Tatmadaw, and has spawned a awful spiral into violence that's being widely seen as a civil war. How do we avoid that? Just like Serena, John talked me through what he sees as Australia's next move. If the imposition of US or Australian-style democracy on the Indo-Pacific is a no-go, but democratic reform is squarely in the national security interests of Australia, then what needs to change? On the summit, John reckons that Australia, being part of the Indo-Pacific and a long-term ally of the US, has earned a right to tell it like it is and take a different path on democracy promotion initiatives. We've got to be the voice of reason. One of the things that we as an ally of the United States have earned the right to do is to speak frankly with our friends and allies about and, and honestly about the way things are in our patch, in, in our neck of the woods. And to be fair, the United States has always been fairly deferential to Australia when it comes to views on Southeast Asia and the Pacific, because they recognise by and large that it's not their strong suit. And that we have a, along with New Zealand, an understandable greater investment and focus here. And on this front, we are in a position to step up to being that middle power, put aside the small power pretensions and seek to influence our great and powerful friend in a constructive way, mindful of these considerations we've been talking about. And for Australia, John thinks we have a lot to offer the region, but we need to lift our gaze. I have a saying, we're a middle power with small power pretensions. We actually need to rise, raise our vision, raise our sense of perspective, raise our sense of obligation to our neighbours, not in some cynical, exploitative manner, but in a generous, spirited manner with a sense of enlightened self-interest. But John also made the point that our reputation isn't squeaky clean. Unfortunately, Australia can't hold its head too high, particularly over the approach it's taken to East Timor. It is in our interests or our neighbours to look to us as a, in a well-disposed manner as their partner of choice. It is not in our interests for them to cynically see us as a exploiter of their problems. Finally, when we dove into the more concrete next steps, John brought up the idea of a grand compact for the region a deal that would set out a framework for things like permanent residency, economic integration and strategic cooperation. The Ground Compact is billed as a win-win idea for Australia and our neighbours, but it isn't without its challenges or controversy. 
the proposal of the Grand Compact is that while Australia needs to do more about climate change, we also need to be mindful of the fact that we may not be able to change things very much and that we have an obligation to these people in the Pacific to help them and to give them a backup, an alternative. And that's the idea of the Grand Compact. But it's also might be, and it's, it's informed also by the fact that if we don't do it, others will. And we're already seeing that with China in Kiribati and to a certain extent in Solomon Islands. That's all from John in this episode of The Readout. Make sure you have a read of his essay in our publication of Develop, where he expands on what you've heard here. It's available on our website and linked in the show notes. On the next episode of the series, I'm going to bring you in on our conversations with some governance workers on the ground. We'll be speaking with Nicola Nixon and Peter Yates from the Asia Foundation, global experts on this stuff. They'll let us in on how governance plays out in the field. And we'll get into just how complicated that is. The Alliance of Democracy have a really good global survey that shows, particularly across the Asian countries, the the support for democracy is still there. So we haven't lost that yet. But you know that if it's not delivering, then it it will and, and just won't hold up against what is a growing tide of illiberalism anyway. The readout is brought to you by the Development Intelligence Lab. The show's produced by Madeline Flynn, with production support from Connie Aegis, Isabel Coleman, and Rachel Mason Nunn. The music is by Viljami Meto, and it's hosted by me, Bridie Rice. Special thanks in this episode to Professor John Blacksland. Make sure you head to devintelligencelab.com to read our essay series, Develop. It features many of the people you meet on this show. Subscribe to The Readout wherever you get your podcasts and you can get in touch with us by heading to devintelligencelab.com.